Hello and welcome to the I Know Nothing About Beer podcast. I am your host, Al the Brewer, and I am so glad you are listening today. This podcast is for anyone that wants to learn more about craft beer and the culture that surrounds it. Whether you're brand new to the scene or a vet of craft beer, I hope you find something to take away from this podcast. So, pour yourself a beer, pull up a bar stool, and enjoy. Cheers. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the I Know Nothing About Beer podcast. How in the world are you doing out there in podcast land? Oh, it's good to be here. I know it's been a minute. I'm sorry. I know it's been a minute. Season four is the everlasting season. I'm sorry. It's going to end. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. But we're going we're gonna to power through this. We got this. We got this. Here we go. Um, I'm bringing today a fun little pious pint episode. And I, uh, I'm saying that because... Um, I was on somebody else's podcast called the Dismantle Podcast, and the Dismantle Podcast takes uh, guests that have either experience or a specialty or uh, some type of professional knowledge about an issue that is confronting the church um, as a whole. And so while I may not be a theologian, (laughs) I could definitely talk about beer and alcohol and the church, and so... I was able to be on this podcast called the Dismantle Podcast again with Joey, and um, we just talked about beer, alcohol, and the church in general. Um, We go in a little bit about prohibition. We go a little bit about church history. It's just a really fun episode, and I know if you're not religious, I get it. You may be like going, ugh, but no, hold with me here, because this episode talks about um, how the church's role has played a, a role in alcohol in America. So there's a bit of a history lesson here uh, as well. So if you are at all a fan of drinking, <laughs> which if you listen to this, I'm sure you are, um, you know, the church in America has had a major influence on the drinking culture here in America. So if nothing else, take a listen for the, take a listen for the history lesson. There we go. I got that out of my mouth. All right, everybody. Um, I'm going to start the podcast in just a little bit. Thank you so much for listening. I so appreciate each and every one of you that has stuck around, but also that just has is listening to this podcast. I really do appreciate each and every one of you. All right. Follow me on Instagram, Twitters, you know, the, the drill at Al the Brewer. Send me an email. Let me know how am I doing at Al the Brewer at gmail.com. And please leave a review. Five stars is always appreciated on the iTunes. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of the day, new night, whenever this may find you. And cheers. I really think that if we draw these super hard lines, like there can never be alcohol at church. Well, you probably have not been to a church in Europe. Welcome to the Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Hello and welcome to Dismantle Podcast, a place for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. On this show, we attempt to dismantle an issue that poses as problematic for the church by having a discussion with a guest who has insight or experience with that subject. Now, we're not always going to agree, and that's okay, but we're not going to argue because our goal is to build bridges and not barriers. Our guest today is Alan Haida. Alan, welcome to the show. Joey, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? 
Man, I just refilled my glass. Uh, I'm excited to uh, just hang out and chat and drink a beer. And what are we drinking? Okay, so I thought I would spotlight a uh, brewery that I really love out in this area, in the Fort Worth area, uh, called Funky Picnic. I have a dark Czech lager, which is drinking splendidly right now. Sounds delicious. I'm just going with a Guinness, but you know what? They're just as good as any other beer, in my opinion. Man, and that is the most important thing. If you like what you're drinking, amen. That's half the battle, right? Uh, uh, Yeah, finding out what you like to drink, that's, yeah. Well, Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. You are the host of I Know Nothing About Beer podcast. Can you give us a little bit about the show and a little bit about some of the work that you do? Yeah, so the I Know Nothing About Beer podcast is uh, a fun little project I have. I've been I'm on season four right now. I've been doing it um, I think a little over two years, and it it's been an idea in my head that I had for a, a long time. And uh, it originally started as a I want to talk about where I thought God, community, and beer met, but I couldn't think of a full podcast for that. And so then I was sitting down at LAX waiting for a flight, and I bought a moleskin, and I was like, okay, I need to get this podcast out of my head. And the first thing I wrote was, I know nothing about beer. And that's kind of where it all stumbled out of. And then I was like, well, if I don't, if I can make that idea of beer, faith, and community a part of the podcast, that opens up my doors a whole lot more. And so um, my podcast has a segment called The Pice Pint, and then it has several other segments, like one called Dad into Beer, but the general gist of it is um, about, about uh, what's it called? Just me taking a question about beer and diving into it with a guest. So it's not one of these podcasts where like I dive into you know hey here's the beer that i'm drinking and then it goes into something sports and then like my life it's like no here's the beer that i'm drinking and i'm drinking it with so and so and we're going to dive into this question that i have about beer because they know more about it than i do um and the the title it it, i get it from kind of like my my definition of, of like a passion um a passion is when you you the more that you learn about something the more you find out you don't know and you want to learn more because you're finding out wow this rabbit hole only goes deeper and that's how i feel about beer the more i learn about beer the more i'm like i know nothing <laughs> about it that's awesome and uh, and thanks for sharing that with us which is a great segue to some of the conversation we're going to have today which is centered around alcohol um now, some people within faith, within church, religion, they're okay with alcohol consumption. Others are not. Um, but, you know, if we look to Scripture, if we look to the Bible, does it actually say anything about beer, about wine, bourbon, whiskey? Is any of that mentioned specifically in the Bible? So that's such a fun question because the the, the fun answer, the, the quickest answer is no, um, about beer, whiskey, distilled drinks, things like that. Um, what is mentioned in the Bible is wine, a whole lot about wine. And generally, you've got like three different ways that that it's talked about you have the first is like a use of like sacrifices and i was having some fun doing some research on this so you have like deuteronomy 14 26 you know uh just quoting from niv here but you know use silver to buy whatever you like uh cattle sheep wine or fermented drink or anything you wish and then your household shall eat in the presence of the lord your god and rejoice where it's kind of like yeah you could drink wine like you can you know you know that's do that you can do that use that silver buy up the wine have a good time um for celebration 
uh, you know, Ecclesiastes 9-7, go ahead and enjoy your meals as you eat. Drink your wine with a joyful attitude because God has approved of your actions, which is a really fun one, I think, um, because it's literally, you know, the Bible saying, hey, you're okay having a good time with wine. And I'm going to say wine. There is a debate about, like, was how watered down was the wine or was it non-alcoholic? From my research, it's pretty much all alcoholic in some way. Um, But the majority of scripture revolving around alcohol is against drunkenness. Um, There's very few verses that actually pinpoint, like, uh, you know, process or anything else about wine. It's more about don't get drunk. Um, you know, and just one of them, Ephesians 5.18, don't, you know, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit. So generally you have these three types of verses, um, you know, the like kind of like a plain use, celebration, and then don't get drunk when it comes to alcohol. So let's unpack that a little bit. What is the difference between drunk and not drunk? Is that a light switch? You know, obviously we hear a lot in this country about drunk driving, about being buzzed, being under the influence. Like what is the progression and the progressive nature to the state of drunkenness? So uh, I think that you don't know that you're drunk until you know that you're drunk. I think that's just a, uh, something that you, unless you've experienced that is generally my attitude about it. Now, my definition for drunkenness is when it's, um, I put it this way, when you go from, when you go from like, hey, I'm having a good time with friends to like, I am the world's greatest karaoke singer. You know, that little progression into like full inhibition lost. um, And really to me, it's about losing control. If you are not in control of your body, um, and not able to make decisions um, in a you know in a in a way that is uh, progressively better for yourself, um, not just what is more fun, but like a hey maybe I shouldn't you know uh, maybe I should double think right now about what I'm going to do. If that is if that like um, little extra conscious little extra angel is out of the question, I think that's a good definition for starting to be drunk. Does that make sense? lot of people would you know easily be able to tell the difference between okay that individual is sober that individual is not sober um and so it's interesting that the bible would then take that approach to say you know this this activity is not wrong but the abuse of this activity is wrong i think we see that a lot within scripture as well um you know, what, what's your take on the abuse of that? It, is it simply just an out-of-control nature to the the partaking of alcohol, or is there something underneath getting drunk? I think there's, there's two different things to this. It's one is 
um, like I said, kind of like a control. It's a control over your body. Um, I think if you let's let's step into the world of the secular. Um, we all know about like the different. You know, maybe you don't, but like I know, like uh, like the the idioms about the different types of drugs. You have the happy drunk, the angry drunk. Um, you know, the sad drunk, the, the, you know, the I love you drunk. And some of these are kind of funny, but they all relate back to that loss of control and letting your inhibitions go. And whether that leads to something that's just kind of funny or something that, you know, um, is dangerous to other people. I think that's, I think that that's a, a large part about why, you know, the Bible will say, God, is not a big fan of drunkenness. I think the other part is the whole reason are of why are you drinking? I think a lot about, we'll say drunkenness is about um, doling pain. You know, I, my, you know, the times that I have gotten drunk have not been because I wanted to uh, forget a pain or was like, oh my goodness, this just happened in my life. Now I need to down a bottle of scotch or something like that. I think it's more about um, not letting something become a, um, how do I put this? It's not letting the booze take over as a thing that helps you heal, because that's never going to help you heal. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like we look to those things to be coping mechanisms, healing during pain, things like that. Uh, when alcohol then use, you know, becomes that that's when it becomes problematic. Yeah, and I think that everybody has, I think most people, I'll say, has had some moment where they've either witnessed that or may have had a part of that in their life, where they let something else be what was what, uh, what they thought could heal them or at least could numb the pain, you know? And I think that, that there's a, a much wider... Um, I think in the same way, like, uh, you know, if drunkenness is not, you know, approved of in the Bible, I would say in the same way that I know that I like love to eat away my feelings. <laughs> while people don't think like a pint of ice cream is like the worst thing in the world for you, I get down one of those when I'm feeling sad. And so I'm like, no, I need to stick away from the ice cream when I'm sad because it's not good for you either. And that's not finding while in a physical sense may not be as harmful as me like downing a lot of alcohol it's still trying to numb something that i should be trying to heal in a different way i've had this question on my mind ever since we connected and i've purposely hidden it from you so as not to Ooh. uh you know not to get you too prepared i, I sort of want a, a raw take on this one but we see in the bible which you know for some that's a problematic way to start a sentence but you know, for the sake of our conversation, we're looking at the Bible. We look at Romans 14. We, we look at 1 Corinthians 8. And that discusses not to drink if it would offend other people, specifically in this case, other believers. Are we supposed to just do whatever's best for everyone else? Or is there a line that we can cross or don't cross when it comes specifically to this conversation of alcohol consumption? I think this goes more back to about being like a good host or guest um, than anything else, in my opinion. Okay, um, I 
I get where that is coming from. And having grown up in the church and having had a lot of times like, oh, no, no, we're, we're not serving alcohol at any church event because it could cause someone to stumble. And then that always made me think like, is someone having a hard time with alcohol? Like, are they getting help? Like, I always, always want to know, like, how could I help out that person? <laughs> um, I think it's, it's really less about like drawing hard lines and being more about like, I want to be a good, ho good host or a good guest. Because when you look at it in that way, it takes away the stigma on them as well. You know, it takes away whoever might be struggling, like, oh, we're not having alcohol because it might make this person stumble. You know, the only reason why we're not having alcohol is because we want to make sure no one gets in a, you know, falls off the wagon or however gets back. However, that saying goes, I think it's more about just being a good host or guest and saying, I want to make the most comfortable environment for someone. I want to have the most open and welcome place for someone to be here. Now, I have been to churches and to church events that have served alcohol openly. And how I've seen that address is they've always been, one, open about like there's going to be alcohol here. And then two, um, having plenty of other options for other people that either abstain from alcohol or they know that that might be a problem for them so they have something else to go to, you know? So I, I would say having you know, abstaining because it may cause your brother to, you know, to stumble and all that. Um, I, I really think that if we draw these super hard lines, like there can never be alcohol at church. Well, you probably have not been to a church in Europe um, <laughs> because I was at a Christmas party at a church in Europe. And man, they had a great time. They knew how to celebrate. And I have never drank more peach, sparkly, fuzzy stuff in my life that made me feel great as a, uh, I think I was 19 at the time. Um, but they also had plenty of people that weren't drinking. And I think that um, there, there's just a little bit of a lesson there, like that it's not a hard line. I don't think we need to take it so much the hard line as a like, um, let's make everyone feel more welcome. Now, within the U.S., we look back and we see that prohibition has been a part of our history. Uh, you know, can you give us a little bit of the history of of that within our country, but also, you know, where we've sort of gotten this hard and fast line of no drinking in the church? Well, you have let me say this you have certain faith traditions uh generally protestant that have been no alcohol okay so you have uh baptist or one methodist or another that have generally said no alcohol and it's for those reasons of you know don't want to cause the brother to stumble or they've drawn fence laws um where it's like hey don't get drunk so what we're going to do is just abstain totally because that will help us never get drunk, which is a, a true way to do that. But then you're also going, hey, you can't drink at all, which, which is kind of within like what something you're allowed to do. So you have those traditions that have said no drinking whatsoever. Um, you know, prohibition, the temperance movement, temperance meaning kind of a not tempering down alcohol, like not even a don't drink so much, but a total like abstinence from alcohol started around the early 1800s. Um, you had this, not only just a population boom in the U.S., but you had this movement away, uh, a movement of not just um, 
people enjoying beer and wine and spirits, but spirits became really cheap. And uh, one little thing I was I was doing some research on this that um, the U.S. was spending in about 1830. The U.S. was spending more on booze as a country than what the entire federal budget was at the time. So people were drinking a lot, and mainly men, and were going home wasted, and who knows what was happening. So you have this large portion of the population, women, who can't divorce their husbands, that can't do anything to fight, literally fight back against, you know, their husbands coming home drunk. And so you have then the uh, the women's, uh, what's called the Women's Christian Temperance uh, Union that comes up, comes about. Um, this is all happening pre-Civil War. Civil War happens, everything kind of like cools down a little bit. And then the 1900s, it really picks up again with this group called the Anti-Saloon League. League. And the Anti-Saloon League is a political party, and they're almost like our first modern um, political action like party that goes, hey, we're going to make alcohol temperance um, prohibition a major issue, and we're going to divide candidates by do you support or not. And if you don't support us, we are going to take these millions of people that are backing us, because at the time it was millions of people that were backing this up, mainly people that were religious and Protestant in America, to say, hey, if you don't support prohibition, we're going to vote you out. And be around the early 1900s to, uh, was it 1918, um, is when the 18th Amendment gets ratified with the Volstead Act. Um, that's really what happened. It was this political movement that really took charge in the late 1800s, early 1900s by the Anti-Saloon League, um, backed by this political and religious fervor um, that could, that allowed this to happen. Does that, you know, that's first half. Yeah, and, you know, it. it it's just yet another example of uh, the church and the government sort of being a little bit more unified than we'd like to think of our uh, separation of church and state ideals. Well, it was it was the I can't say that the Anti-Saloon League was the church at the time because there were so many other Christians and people of faith at that time that were like, no, this is stupid. Um, but it was that populace. It was the um it was this almost, I, I would hate to put this type of wording to it, but the moral majority, or moral minority, I should say, that was speaking out against this and was affecting the politics at the time. So there weren't any like politicians that were saying, like, this is the godly, I mean, there were some that were saying the godly thing to do, but they were being influenced and almost held up by this religious political um, group. Now you said that that's the first half. Hmm. So yeah, so then you have the other fun half of it all where you have you know it going into fruition, 18th Amendment, the Volstead Act, which is um, the, the guy that headed up the Anti-Saloon League uh, literally wrote the book, wrote the 
broke the Volstead Act that became the 18th Amendment. And then you have prohibition, which was horrible. It did not work at all. Um, I found this great little quote that said, you know, Lutherans drank openly and praised God secretly, and Baptists praised openly and drank secretly. It was this like, uh, no, like this, like hidden secret in plain sight. It was a secret in plain sight, which I think this is where the church's attitudes about alcohol really come to fruition. You know, we're still living under that little funny saying that we don't really do alcohol. I mean, if you you do, that's fine, but it's it's still such a topic that is like not talked about and just kind of like, well, they drink or, um, you know, you can drink, but should you, at least in my, in my experience. We both say, as we both take a swig of our alcohol. Yeah. I was like, we're both, we're both having a drink there. That's all good. Now that that's a really interesting quote that we, you know, we worship in secret we drink in public you know that dichotomy of of that have you ever heard of alcohol or consumption spoken from the pulpit i have not heard many uh sermons about alcohol specifically i have heard more than enough sermons about you know um um, I, I think this is, this is a stupid way to relate to this, but I think it, it always gets kind of tacked on. At least I've heard it like in the same way that people talk about, well, where's the line about sex? It's like, well, where's the line about drunk? It gets tacked on to that as well, because it's easy because to say, well, then you should just abstain from it all the way. Um, I have heard um, in the church that I attended and he said he was going to step on some toes. The, the preacher um, was like, you know, I don't even think that if you're going to drink or I don't even think that you should plan to have an Uber because that means that you're planning on having, you know, the connotation was that you were planning on having too much. Where I was I'm, in my head, I'm like, no, planning an Uber is the greatest thing because then you're not planning on like, I'm just going to drink a little bit and still try to drive home. I am all about like getting an Uber if you think you're going to be drinking because then it just allows you to just draw like like not have that responsibility or that weight on you um so i haven't heard too much beyond that um i've experienced drinking in different churches but not the the faith tradition i grew up in that was never an option um that was always something that was like you're allowed to but should you that was i think more the attitude that it was rounded you know, just your personal opinion, given your experience, and I don't hold you an expert in anything other than that. But, you know, would you even feel comfortable hearing that from the pulpit, given the fact that we are such a diverse group of people with diverse backgrounds and experiences and all these different things? Would you personally feel comfortable hearing a pastor comment on something that is probably, at least based on our conversation, a personal preference? You know, I... I would say this. I would love to hear a pastor say, look, I like having a beer. I have never heard a pastor say that. Okay. I would love to hear a pastor say, I enjoy this drink responsibly. I enjoy this beverage responsibly. Or just to say, I make sure that I am always in control of myself when drinking. 
because I think that would just set such a great example for those that feel a, a downtrodden guilt or shame about having even liked it because I think there's more of a let me let me use some old-timey stuff language here I think it's shame is a is something that drives sin more than an open responsible attitude towards it if you are shamed into hiding that you drink there is I think you're less likely to show more control than not over that whereas if you are open and honest and respectful and um you know um what's it called uh how do i put this if you're open and honest um about what you enjoy then it's easier for you to go well i like this because i like this about it and now and and to have even from top down be able to say that's a good thing you know um but and as in with many things, moderation is a, it's a good thing to have. To have that example, I think would, I think that would lead to more people going, wow. I think that would um, help the church out in reducing alcohol consumption because then it's not just all in secret. It's done out in the open. It's done with a heart that is not shameful about it or secretive about it. Hmm. Now, off the top of my head, this is where things get a little tricky. At probably at least once a week, you hear a news report about drunk driving. You hear something along the lines of, uh, you know, students who were acting irresponsibly got in an accident, leading to death. Things along those along those lines, and your automatic response is, "Oh, obviously that's terrible. That's awful news to hear." My question is, you know, do we do we potentially demonize? the consumption or the the idea of alcohol because of poor judgment the way that we would in in any other situation you know not all things are necessarily bad but the abuse of them leads to that do we do we sort of check out and say well that's just a a result of the world or is our response to something like that man we really need to step into better education better opportunities better ways of connecting so that these things don't happen I think it's a couple things. One, I wish it was more about better education. Um, I I wish it was more about um, here's you know learning about what alcohol does to your body, and not so much going don't go above a point oh eight, you know, or whatever your state's line is for drunk driving, but more about like look here's how alcohol alcohol will affect your body. And it is better to be safe than sorry on this. Um, I think also beyond the demonization or the shamefulness about alcohol, there's also the cool factor about alcohol. I mean, how many times have you seen a movie where like the teenagers are drinking and having a great time? Um, I think that there is, um, you know, uh, Anheuser-Busch, Budweiser, right? They're one of the first groups to do a mass marketing plan and one of the things that they did was make beer cool beer was not really cool um prior to 19 we'll say 50s ish um it was not a cool drink budweiser made beer cool Um, especially once they started doing campaigns towards that focused on not like your dad having a beer but your younger self having a beer. 
So I think there's also this romanticism about alcohol that I wish would be a little more squashed because really um, when I hear about, you know, people dying in uh, car accidents because of drunk driving, um, if for one, yes, my heart absolutely goes out to those families that were affected by it. But two, I'm like, man, I wish that it wasn't this thing where drinking in public was acceptable to do to then get behind a wheel. Um, I, I wish that there wasn't this line that we think we can get to and then still be okay to drive. You know, I think that's more problematic than saying um, that alcohol is bad for you because alcohol, saying alcohol is bad for you or just trying to say, hey, uh, don't drink at all, that's, that's not going to work either. Um, I, I wish there was more education about what, uh, what alcohol really does to your body so that people could be more informed, even if they're dumb teenagers, which if there's a dumb teenager listening to this, I'm sorry, I was one too, and I've almost don't feel bad about calling you that. Um, but I, I wish that there was um, real education about alcohol rather than most people's education coming from, you know, uh, television or movies. Those are great thoughts, Alan. Thank you. And as we wrap up our time on the show, uh, you know, what's, what's something along these lines, besides just better education, what do you think that the church could do to better engage in this subject. There's almost a myriad of things that we could do, but if there was just one thing that the local church could do to better grapple with this issue, what do you think that that would be? Man, I would say it would just be open honesty about it. I mean, really, I, so I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, My wife is from Abilene and her family was, um, you know, grew up in the, you know, I, as I did too, grew up in the Church of Christ. And their church was not a fan of alcohol. Again, it was one of those, like, you can, but should you? And so they would hide going to the drive-through, uh, the, 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 it's like called the liquor barn or the beer barn, or no, it was Eskimo Hut, that's what it was called. And you could drive through and get a six pack of beer or like a bottle of wine. And it was always just like, oh, look who's in front of us. Or like if they saw a car from church, you know, pull up behind them, like, oh, no, they're seeing us and they're going to see us by our ball wine. I would love for that attitude to be squashed. If I could have that happen, um, the idea of just being open and honest about whether or not you enjoy beer and that not be looked down upon as like, oh, well, you know, you've got to be careful. Um, I think that would do more overall for the good of the church and for just the the, the, the body of Christ um, and not feeling a shame around that and then not having all the problems of having shame revolved around alcohol. It's awesome, man. Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Can you tell our listeners about how they can connect with you, where they can find you on Instagram, the podcast? Give us all of that. Absolutely. So uh, you can find me everywhere and anywhere at Al the Brewer, A-L-T-H-E-B-R-E-W-E-R. I'm on the Instagrams. I'm not as much on Twitter, but you can find me there as well, Facebook, um, althebrewer at gmail.com. I also have a full second fun online persona that is Dad Domesticus. It is a YouTube channel about me being a stay-at-home dad, and that is a whole lot of fun. Um 
it uh, I, I do really dumb songs on there as well so I think my last one was about um, what was it it was the tune of the Mighty Mighty Boston's where did you you know where did you go to where did they go talking about my children's shoes so um, that was a lot of fun to do well we'll make sure we throw it all in the show notes dude but again thanks for being on the show man thank you so much I had such a great time And that wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. Until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change.